Actually, most podiums are taller than I'd like them to be. The one I had for years, I actually had them cut it in half, and then we redid it. But uh, that's okay, as long as I'm not here like this. You know, as uh, Roger's been preaching through First John, one of the things I do and always have been, uh, even before I started pastoring, is, uh, is I read through the book that the pastor is preaching through at least once a week kind of helps me get a flavor for what's going on, you know. Even though, uh, obviously, I've even preached through First John, but uh, wow, the more I read through this every single week and the more Roger preaches on it, and I'm just going to continue where he left off last week in uh, chapter 3, verse 10, uh, the more I see some things more clearly that God loves humanity. When I talk about humanity, I mean every single person. We may not love them. There may be some horrible, evil people out there, and you can think of some through history, but God loved them. God also has, as you read through this book, a special love and we're going to go over that uh, this week and next, two-part series, because I'm going to be with you this Sunday and next Sunday Roger, while Roger's on vacation. He also has a special love, and we're going to talk about this, for his children, those that are believers. And I don't know about you, but when I first became a believer, I, that, that broke my heart because of the person... I knew that I was before God entered my life. How about you? It broke my heart in a good way. And I remember as I started studying God's word over and over, I remember being in the book of Hebrews and I just started crying. Back then it wasn't that easy for me. Now the older I get, the more I cry. I see a dead deer on the road. I almost cry. I'm I'm not a hunter anymore. I just... I don't like killing nothing anymore. I mean, uh, except cockroaches. and I, I'd kill more possums. I used to kill them all around, but, you know, they eat uh, ticks, so I quit killing them. Uh, so I pretty much don't kill anything except fly. And then I, I got stung by a wasp yesterday, and, man, I was looking to kill that booger, but I couldn't find it. So, but I just started crying and thinking about how wonderful it is that a holy and righteous God continued to pursue me and pursue me so that I might one day live in heaven with Him. He pursued me. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I never pursued Him. There was a time, obviously, as He pursued me that I accepted Him as my Savior and Lord. But have you thought about how wonderful that is that we have a God that we transgress against? In other words, before coming to Christ, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, and yet God pursues us. And then through this miracle called salvation, there's a whole lot of stuff there we could go through. God breaks through, and we say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need saving from my sin. I need saving from... Hell, I, I want to be in a relationship with you. 
And God pursued me to do that. And I was overwhelmed with not just emotion, but a love emotion for him. The problem with me as a human being and still a sinful creature, don't get me wrong, we've all that are believers been forgiven for that sin. I have a tendency to back away from that love. I take it for granted. Don't we all? I mean, the love we have for one another, the love we have for God, the love we have for others. And as we went through 1 John and I kept reading it, the more convicted I got about the fact that I, Lord, I just someplace over the years, when I left the church I was pastoring for years and years, it didn't end well. And some of you may have heard rumors, it, it just didn't end well, and I just left. I didn't want to fight some issues we were going through. And that was really hard for me to get over. But let me tell you, God never left my side, and I, I continued to be in the Word, and He was really, really patient with me, and all of a sudden, that's why I'm back here. He said, Preston, and my wife had been bugging me, to go back to church a long time. We'd been doing Bible studies and, and, and everything, and she said, you know, we need to be back in church. And I said, you're right, because that's a commandment. That's something we need to do. We need to be in a Bible-believing church and doing work for him through that church so he gets the glory. And, but he was so patient with me once again, and all of a sudden he just said, I need you to go out and do something for me again. He didn't say what. Next thing I know, I come here, and uh, some of you have been so terrifically loving. That's what First John tells us. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're supposed to love them, right? And I realized I, uh, through all that, hadn't done a real good job of that. Not only that, but I hadn't loved my God like I should. I hadn't loved my brothers and sisters in Christ. I hadn't loved humanity like I should, and... Uh, so going through First John, I'm learning, you know, he just tells us over and over, I did this for you, I love you, so love me, love, my, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a special, that Roger talked about it, that's why he called it a new commandment. Jesus said it two times, he said there's a new commandment. He's always told us to love one another with a brotherly love. But he says, for those of you that are in Christ, there's a special love, a special bond there. And I forgot about that. Maybe on purpose. Nah, I don't think it's on purpose. It just happens, doesn't it? We get comfortable with life and God convicted me. And uh, since then, God's brought back some brothers and sisters in my life that I, I am so glad he did. But then, he's also convicted me in this message in 1 John to love humanity. Now, I don't know about you, but for Christians, that's, that's tough because I'm, when I talk about humanity, I'm talking about unbelievers that are attacking our beliefs left and right. And I want to know, God, I'm asking Him as I study through this, how do I still stay true to Your Word and yet be loving to all humanity, not just my brothers and sisters in Christ. When someone disagrees on what I call such an essential truth in God's Word, 
How do I handle that? In my flesh, I don't handle it well. I either want to win the argument or I just flat get mad. And I see people that are, that are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I told you a few last time I was up here, uh, I just got on Facebook. Still don't know what I'm doing on it, but I can see what some of you post. Not here necessarily. But I see Christian brothers and sisters posting things that are just, just mean. And I know why they're doing it. Because they're being attacked, so they attack back. One thing I've learned as a Christian is that's not the way Christ did it and that's not the way we're supposed to do it. Now we stand up for what's righteous, but we just are not supposed to attack back with the same kind of vile venom that that I hear from, from other Christians, people I love. And let me tell you, I have been guilty of that. So that's why I've really enjoyed... This message here is it, it just keeps going over. And, and Roger's done such a good job bringing out these truths. Uh, but it just keeps going over how we're supposed to love. So I want to take the last verse that he spoke on last week. And we're going to expand on two things in that verse. If you were here last week, you remember he ended with 1 John 3.10, and it says, and he, he reads, he preaches from a different translation than me, but I'm going to use his translation, which is the ESV. And it says, but this is evident. Remember last week he said evidence is something like, if you want to prove someone's a criminal, you want to look for evidence that proves that they're a criminal. In other words, things, acts, things they've done that prove that fact. So, The writer here, the Apostle John says, but this is, it is evident who are the children of God, so who are Christians, and who are the children of the devil. It's okay for us to say that because God's Word says that. I'm not trying to be mean, we're not trying to be mean-spirited, but God's Word puts people, believers are children of God, unbelievers are children of the devil. And they will say they're not, but they are. Before I came to know God through Jesus Christ, I was a child of the devil. That's how they classified it. So he says, but this, by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So they're children of the devil. Notice he says, practice righteousness, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, that's being very specific. We're going to go over that. So the one that doesn't love his brother or sister in Christ is not a child of God. That was convicting to me because I just, over the years, sometimes have done a really poor job at doing that. And I think one of the reasons is We as believers, we love each other. We truly do, but we get our feelings hurt awfully easy. Anyway, I don't know if I do easily. Maybe I do. But I've gotten my feelings hurt in church probably more than any place else that I've been. And I've let it it affect my love for God. I've let it have an effect on my love for other believers. And I've let it have an effect on, on... 
whether I go to church or not, or things like that. And I see it in extreme fashion for unbelievers. Just two weeks ago, I ran into two young people that I knew were, were actually one of them was in this church the whole time he was growing up. The other one was in the church I pastored most of the time they were growing up. And they both claim to be atheists now. One of them even said, he said, you know what, mom and dad, you brought me up in a cult. I need you to understand that pure, true Christianity is not a cult. We classify cults as those religions that don't believe in the Bible or their theology is really bad, or you can have a cult that sociologically, in other words, through, through like how we react to one another, we can be cultish. For instance, if we were in a church here, and I know we're not, if we were in a church here that said, well, we're the only true believers in the world, we would be considered a cult. Or if we were the type of believers that didn't want to bring anyone into this church because we had all the answers and we just wanted to stay inwardly focused, then we could be somewhat cultish. But when these two young people, one of them said we were a cult and the other one said they're an atheist, I, I, my, my heart broke because they're either not a believer and never were a believer, and I baptized both of them. So that's supposed to mean something. Either that or they're angry with God or they've fallen away from God so far they want to have nothing to do with Him. They hate Him. So there's no evidence in their life that they're a child of God. Now, here, here's a fact. That doesn't necessarily mean they're not, but right now there's no evidence for that. Some of you have children or grandchildren and you worry about their salvation. Continue. All we can do is continue to pray for them. Especially when we brought them up in a Christian home, did the best we could, and let me tell you, my teenage daughters, they did not want to go to church many times, Angie more so than Danielle. She didn't have a problem with it. But I made them go. And this young man said, you know what, that's what I mean by a cult. You made me go when I didn't want to go. Really? That's what a parent does. I make you get up and go to school for the... And I, I train you. I make you do things. That's not being cultic. That's being a good parent. I, you know, I... I discipline you because I am your parent. I'm not saying I'm perfect. And even in our Christianity, Lord knows, we'll all admit we are not perfect. When it says here, a true believer will have evidence of the fact that they're a true believer by having righteous acts in their life and loving, obviously all of us know we're not going to do that perfectly. But we're going to do it better now than we did before. And the more we walk with the Spirit, the better we're going to do it. We can do it real well when we walk with the Spirit. But it's too easy in this world today not to walk with the Spirit. We get, I, I, Me too, I get caught up in other things of life. I'll never forget as I was sitting beside a man that uh, I loved... I can't say I affectionately loved him. You know, there's those people that you just, they're so kind. 
you just can't hardly help but to love them, especially brothers and sisters in Christ. This guy wasn't like that. But I loved him. As I sat beside his bed as he was dying, actually, I hope I don't get in trouble. It it was actually my father-in-law. He helped build most of this education wing we have out here. He ran me off when me and Brenda were dating. He told me on the phone he's going to get a shotgun, run me off. You got to remember, Brenda was 16 and I was barely 18. I don't blame him. But we never really got along that well in that we were affectionately loving to one another. But as As he grew in Christ, he came to love me more and more, and I became to love him more and more, not in this huggy-huggy kind of way. Some of you, boy, it's just easy. You're just huggable, you know? He just wasn't that kind of guy. It was like, hey, hey, how are you doing today? Go grab a hammer and let's go build a house. That's the kind of guy my father-in-law was. And, And as I sat there beside him, I was shocked because he asked for me. Out of all the people in the family, he asked for me. And sorry. And I'm sitting there beside him, and he, he tells me, he says, You know, I love you. I don't know how to show it. My father didn't show it. My father was mean. He said, I want you to tell my family. I did the best job I could to show them I loved them. I bring that up because we need to know that some of us, we don't know the background we come from. He came from a horrible background. His parents were mean to him, at least his father. So he, didn't, he wasn't the kind of guy that could come up and just, just hug on you. That doesn't mean he didn't love me. That doesn't mean he didn't love his family. He did his best he could. And he said, at my funeral, I want you to tell him that. I did the best I could. I wanted to love him more, but it's hard. If you've had a hard life, it's hard to love sometimes. So when I go through this message, I want you to know that love just, it, it comes forth in different ways, doesn't it? Some of us, we can be huggy. I grew up in a family. My dad came down every night, even when I was a teenager, and told me he loved me. He didn't actually tuck me in bed. But do you know, looking back, what a blessing that was? You know what a blessing, if you have a father like that, what a blessing that is? That he, he comes down and he says, Son, I love you. But not all of us have that kind of father, right? So it's going to be harder for you to be maybe as loving as you should be. So when, I, when we look at these evidences, please don't think I'm trying to tell you love's going to look the same way in all of us. It's not. Because some of us have a tougher life. Actually, most of the people that I grew up admiring and mentoring are passed away now. And they, boy, they were, they were tough men. I mean, they would have been saying, what are you doing crying in the pulpit, you big sissy? But they loved me. 
They were tough because they had to be tough. Well, we live in a softer society today. We do. We have things easier. Parents, really, for the most part, really, I mean, a lot of you do just an outstanding job. You make your kids a priority. You love on them. Maybe sometimes, I have to admit, we make them too much a priority. My mom made me think, I I was an only child with my mom, she made me think that the world revolved around me. And that wasn't good. Because I realized it didn't. That caused problems. So, as we continue from this verse, I'm going to look at two things. It says, for us that are believers, so now I'm talking about us that claim to be believers, that have a changed heart, that have come to God through Jesus Christ, we should have some evidence in our lives of righteousness and love. I'm going to talk about those two things. First, we're going to talk about righteousness. And I'm going to go a step further and talk about holiness. God's Word tells us not only should we have righteousness, which is the way we act, righteous acts, but we should have holiness. We should be people of holiness. And you have to have both. They ha- you constantly, as a believer, you have to have both. You've got to stand up for the holiness of God and what's right, and you got to be loving. And that's not always easy to do. That's why we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Let me show you something. I wrote this down. We are commanded by God to practice holiness slash righteousness or righteous acts. That's one evidence. And we are commanded to love rightly. And I want you to hear that word, love rightly, because we're going to explain that and we're going to define it through God's word. God's holiness or righteousness without love leads to harshness and sometimes a self-righteousness. So we can't just have one without the other. So I'm telling you, if we just concentrate on being holy and you have to do this, we can get so mad at the world we live in, especially now we come off harsh or we come off self-righteous. Now, some will say today that Christians are always self-righteous. No, we're not. Or we're, the new word today is racist. If you say anything that people disagree with, we're racist. That's not true either. Or we're some kind of phobia. We have some kind of phobia, and that's not true either. We still have to balance it out. So holiness without love leads to harshness. It can. But love without holiness leads to compromise. Hear that? Love without holiness will lead to compromise and a willingness to accept. And here's a huge word today. A willingness to accept and affirm unrighteousness. We just can't do that. We cannot affirm unrighteousness. Even when it comes to love, we can't affirm it. We can tolerate it and we can still love them, but we can't affirm it and say it's okay. We just can't do that. But we have to have both. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about holiness and that's all we'll get through today. And that's fine. i got one more Sunday. 
I'm going to talk about holiness, and I pulled this from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 25, and I'll be reading the New International Version, which is a little bit different from what uh, Roger usually reads out of. Same word of God, though. It says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. First of all, Peter's telling us something here. He's saying, be alert, be sober. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. We all understand that Christ has said He's going to literally return to this earth. That's what we call His second coming. And sometimes that's all we have to hope for. Sometimes we have to look past so many things and say, God, I feel like such an alien here. The older I get and the more I know of God's Word and the more God matures me, the more I just, the things of this world, I just feel like an alien. And you have to have this hope that you grasp hold of. Every funeral I do for Christians I know we're sad to see him go, but let's be honest. If we believe God's word, it says to live right now is to Christ, but to die is what? To gain. So, so we, it, it tells us, Peter's telling us as we go through life that, you know, just start out by keeping this hope. Keep it, this hope. Young people, when you make choices, it's hard to make choices today because the world's coming at you and It's saying this and saying that and saying you can be a boy or a girl or you can be a thing or an it. And, and, you know, that is, here's where the holiness comes in. That is an affront to my Creator. There is no way that isn't an affront to Him. My God knew exactly what He was making in the womb of your mama. Was either a boy or a girl. Now, I say that because I stand on holiness. So, was that loving? Well, you can say it wasn't, but it was. Because just like if a doctor came to you tomorrow and said you had cancer, you'd want to know about it. Especially if he thought he could cure you of it. It would be really ugly for him to say there's nothing wrong with you and yet you have cancer. You guys remember the doctor over there in Harrisonville that was diluting the drugs for cancer patients? Had a family member that died because this doctor was so greedy, he wanted more and more money, so he took the cancer drugs and he was diluting them and giving them to the patients and saying, oh yeah, well people's hair wasn't falling out, and they're like, what's going on here? Let me tell you, that's not loving. That's evil. Greed got a hold of that man's heart, and he had plenty of money. And I'll be honest with you, I think that's what runs every country in the world today, just flat greed and power. That doesn't mean there ain't good people out there in government. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's what runs it. He goes on in in 1 Peter, and he says, listen to this, and this one's This one for me, because I am a rebel at heart. I always have been. And I do not know why some of us are rebels at heart, but we are. 
We just If you tell me to put my shoes on this way, I'm just going to want to put them on the other way. In the military, I always had my uniform, what they called up tight. And you know why? Because I, I just did not want somebody to come up and say, hey, your gig line's off. Any of you know what a gig line is? Come on, you have to. Okay. In the military, this line and your belt and your fly is supposed to run parallel. Now, is that ridiculous or what? But that was part of your military uniform. You had to have it. Or your stripes had to be on just right. Well, everybody used to think, boy, Sanders, you just want to look good. No, the main reason was I didn't want you coming up to telling me that I had something wrong. And I had wonderful parents, but they'd tell me things, and I'd just like to, you know, when I was youth pastor here, one of the things I did, I'll prove this to you. One of the kids upstairs punched a hole in the wall, and I was teaching a lesson to him. And it was right over the water fountain. I watched the kids for months. They never noticed it. I put a sign up there that said, do not look in this hole. A great big thing. The very next Sunday, at least 20 kids got a drink of water and tried to look up in the hole. Never even noticed. I just want to tell you, we're, we're, we're rebellious creatures. Now, some of us are worse, and, and I'm worse at it than others. But with God, I, I have to hold on to these things and know, first of all, God loves me. That's why He wants what's best for every one of us, because He loves us. That's why He wants for us to live a holy and righteous life because that's what's best for us. Plus, it's a great witness to the world. But this next verse in 1 Peter says, as obedient children, obedient, even as a Christian now, I have to learn obedience. It just doesn't come easy for me. As much as I love God, much as I love His Word, There's times when I just rebel. That's why I'm saying, if you think God's been patient with you, He's been even twice as patient with me. So the word obedience means a lot to me. Even now, we're to be obedient. That's something we make a choice. Obedience. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires of you had when you lived in ignorance. When was that? That's when you wasn't a believer. So Peter's telling us as believers, part of being holy and being righteous is being obedient, being set apart, as the word holy means, and being obedient. Never forget the day I was talking to a man, and he was having an affair, and I'm not a great counselor. I thought I was going to be a counselor at one time, went through college for it, found out I'm too black and white. You come in to me and say I'm having an affair, you know, this is my counsel to you. Quit! Stupid! That just doesn't work very well. So I realized I couldn't be a counselor. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Two things here. We don't want to live the life we once lived. We want to live a life full of righteousness and holiness. Notice that he says when you were in ignorance. Believers, see, 
we get so mad at the unbelieving world at times, and I do it too. I hear it. I have a lot of Christian friends. We talk about it all the time, and I, and I get angry. But we have to remember, let's say I'm preaching up here, and a blind man just walks up and he steps on my toes. Do I have a right to get angry with him? No, he's blind. He didn't know I was there. He didn't mean to step on my toes. You have to remember, and, and when you're, if you've been a Christian a long time, we forget this. Those outside of Christ are ignorant. They have no moral compass except their conscience. And let me tell you what, our conscience isn't good enough. Even if you have some morals in your life, it's not good enough. The law of God, and, and Roger's been talking about this. He talked about it last week. But the law of God is like a mirror. And we look into it. Let's say the Ten Commandments. You look into it. You know what it means. It shows us the character of God. We should be able to look into it. And if we're honest, we go away lacking. We go away wanting. We go away looking into the law of God and saying, I can't do that. What am I to do? Martin Luther, one of the great reformers. He was a Catholic priest. And he would get on his knees. And he would walk up these steps, these steps after steps, till his knees were bloody. And he did thing after thing, act after act, to try to make up for his sin. And he just couldn't do it. And the Catholic Church at that time didn't have a good perception of the gospel. And then Martin Luther was reading through Romans and he said, Oh my goodness, how do we miss this? We're not saved by our righteous acts. We are saved through Christ's righteous acts. And after we're saved, then we can be righteous and holy. Not, not perfect like Christ, but we can be righteous. He goes on First Peter and he says, let me just read that one over. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you were ignorant. But just as he who called you is holy, who's called us? God's called us. Just as God is holy, so be holy in all you do. That's our goal. Holiness, to be set apart because we're set, what are we set apart from and to? We're set apart to God from the world. First John, Rogers already went over this, says, do not love the things of the world, anything in it. Now, obviously, you've got to look into that and say, what does that mean? You're going to love your children. You're going to love your parents. You're going to love this. Because the whole thing's talking about loving one another. But yet John says, don't love the world. It's the world system. It's the evil world system, the system that the devil controls. You're not to love that. So we're set apart to God. We're set apart from the world so that we can live a righteous, holy life. And it goes on, it said, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I'm holy. Read through this and then we'll close. 
We'll start on the love rightly next week. Be holy because I am holy. Lord, I just, you know what? Don't you just have to stop there? Those of you that have been a Christian a long time and go, Lord, please help me with that. I want to be holy, but then I want to be loving too. You tell me to love, but I want to be holy. And I, for me, the Holy Spirit's the only one that can do that in my life because I just, I, it just doesn't come natural for me. So be holy because I'm holy. Then in First Peter verse seventeen it says, "Since you called on a Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear." We forgot about that one too. That means a respectful. Fear for God. I'm te- I think we've lost that. And Roger did a whole, he did a, he did a great sermon series on the wrath of God, didn't he? It was great. You just don't hear that in every church. Preaching on the wrath of God, what are you talking about, man? He just loves. No, you know when he returns? You know why he's returning? He's returning to set up his kingdom and the wrath of Almighty God's going to fall on all creation and all unbelieving people. That's a motivator for me. I am not worthy to be saved, but for some reason God has saved me. Thank you, God. But you know what? I'm no more special than the other people out there that are unbelievers. So let's learn how to be holy and loving at the same time. And one of the motivators is a reverent fear. I don't know about you, but I know for some of us that are older, I've made decisions because I literally fear God. And you just don't hear that anymore. There's things that I haven't done because I fear God. Because see, I I say I have a rebel spirit. See, for some people, the law just doesn't cut it. Rules don't cut it. That isn't what my motivation comes from. You can tell me, don't do this, Preston. And in my nature, I'll just do it. But for some reason, God, the love of God, has allowed me to fear Him in such a way that I'm like, you know what? You're right, God. I'm I'm not going to do that. Not because I understand it, because I'm telling you as a Christian, do you see how many times we as believers in the Bible, we have to suffer the consequences of our bad decisions? God says, I love you and you may be mine, but if you're mine and you're my child and you make this stupid decision, I'm going to spank you. I know that probably isn't politically correct. Let me put it another way. I'm going to discipline you. I got spanked all the time. It never hurt me. Well, actually, it did for a little bit. He says, so out of this reverent fear, verse 18, it says, for you know that it is not with perishable things. Here's the part that we need to know. It's not with perishable things that we've been redeemed. You know what redeemed means? I hope you do. Delivered from bondage. We've been delivered from the bondage of sin and a destiny of hell. And we were redeemed not by things of this world, but it goes on. I'm I'm reading kind of fast here. We were redeemed with the precious blood 
of Jesus Christ. I'll read the rest later because I kind of change focus here after this. Lord, let's pray. Lord, I pray for every individual in here, especially myself, that I might lead a life that's holy because you're holy that I might lead a life that's full of righteousness. Lord, you know what one of the motivators? There's two motivators we talked about here, Lord. First of all, I fear you reverently in a way that it it comes from my love for you. I just, I can't, I, I don't even have words to define that type of reverent fear. I just know I have it. And I know you're a loving God and you're going to do what's best for me. Even when I rebel and I, and I don't have righteous acts and I'm not righteous, you're going to discipline me. Thank you for doing that to all of us, Lord. But most of all, I want to close with this because this is my biggest motivator. Is Lord, we, each one of us that are born again believers, have been redeemed through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, He willingly was murdered on the cross for us. He gave His life fully God, fully man. But He gave His life for me and you. May that be the motivator that motivates us to live a holy life and a righteous life that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Praise God from